invite your attention this morning to 1 John. I know that it's been a, a week of challenge. It's been a week of correction. It's been a week of, uh, of joy. I enjoy meeting new folks. I enjoy getting to know new folks. Um, but I also know that uh, <laughs> what we do in conferences is spiritually enriching, but it's physically tiring. And so I will try to be uh, considerate of that this morning. Um, and I also know that y'all have not heard me preach before. Um, and so, you know, I'm a bit of a baseball fan. I'll share with you this. Uh, there was a rookie named Katsuo Matsui who uh, was a uh, rookie in baseball. And he started with the New York Mets in April of 2004. And he, being a rookie in his rookie year, first at bat, walked up to the plate, swung at his first pitch he ever saw in the major leagues and, you know, drove a 425-foot home run on the first pitch of his rookie season. It was actually the first pitch of the season because it was the first game of the season, first pitch of the game, and it was the first time he had ever, you know, played a game. And, and uh, But uh, I don't get that opportunity today. I'm, I'm actually the ninth person, so I'm at the end of the lineup, not even at the beginning, and so I'm, I'm feeling the pressure there. Uh, but I do note that the last four fellows in front of me all spoke about the gospel. And so I would like to preach to you about Christ is everything and try to, you know, focus us onto Christ. In 1 John, the Apostle John focuses back to Christ when he's nearing uh, the end of what we know as the New Testament canon. He writes these words, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this church. We thank You for these people that have been so kind and gracious this week. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, which has been expounded from this pulpit this week. And Lord, we pray today that you would meet with us as you've promised to do, Lord, that you would take your preaching of your word and that you would use it yet once again, Lord, that it would not go forth vain, that it would convict hearts, that it would challenge us yet one more time, Lord, that you would comfort, that you would speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, use me today that, that you would be glorified, that your son would be lifted up, that some here today that has not seen you before with spiritual understanding, Lord, that you would use my feeble words to draw a sinner to call one of your sheep home to yourself. Lord, that's our plea today. We ask, Lord, that everything that's done here would glorify you and lift your son high. And it's his name we ask. Amen. At the end of this week of preaching and praying and fellowshipping, I can think of nothing else greater to say than that Christ is everything and as I look into this writings of John, I, I, I look at this very opening 
of this letter, and that's where he focuses us, is that Christ is everything. Christ is all. Christ is above all. And if you remember the theme here as, as he opens this letter, he's essentially asking the question, are you in Christ? I mean, he has written a gospel, and, and the purpose of the gospel is to point lost men to the Savior. And now he writes this letter to ask some pointed questions, honestly, to ensure that you are in the Savior. It's, it's as if the gospel was written for salvation and now the letter is written for your surety. And he wants you to know that you're in Christ. And, and he opens up with this exhilarating commentary on Christ that he's everything. We're writing this letter, he says, for your confidence, for your affirmation. He wants you to know that your fellowship is indeed in Christ. And he starts with an assertion of what's eternal. He gives us four descriptions of Christ in just this opening paragraph. The assertions of the eternal. And by doing so, he answers this question for us. Who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? I noticed the answer to this question. It focuses upon the word life. Jesus is the life from the beginning. He opens in this very first phrase, that which was from the beginning. Beginning here is the beginning of everything. Jesus existed before anything else existed. He existed before everything else existed. And by making that statement, John is, is pointing us back to the fact that Jesus shares the very nature of God. He shares the very glory of God. It's the same thing that he opened the Gospel of John with. It's the very same declaration. Drop your bookmark there if you have one at the first letter of John and go with me back to his, the opening statement of his Gospel in the Gospel of John. He starts the very same way. He wants you to know who God is. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so he makes this emphatic claim that Jesus is the life from the very beginning. Not just the beginning of your life, or the beginning of his earthly life or the beginning of the scriptures, or the beginning of creation, but he says the life was from before the beginning. And he says he was life before life existed. And he is also the life-giving word. He was life, but then he granted life. You see, nothing was made without Christ. Understand that Jesus was present at the creation. He was present when all things were created because in him was life. And so this life that was in him, he granted to others. Paul confirms the same thing in the opening of Colossians. He says that Jesus Christ literally holds together all things. He says... Nothing was made without him. He says literally that all, in him all things consist. And that word consist means that he holds together all things. Everything in our physical world is held together by the power of Christ. And so Christ is the creative power. And he's the continuing power. 
Again, note what John says in the opening of his gospel. He says in verse 3, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. But notice also what John says about this life. When he opens his letter, he says, The life was manifested. We have seen it. It is the life that's from the beginning. It is the life that is given. It is the life that is manifested. But notice also, he said it was the life at the end of verse 2 that was manifested in a specific direction. It was manifested to us. It didn't just come to grant life and then leave, but... but It is the life that is manifested and is manifested unto us. That means it was revealed. It was made known. It was openly distributed. It was plainly declared. But Jesus came with a purpose and he came on purpose. He came to grant life, but he came to grant life to his people. We know what that purpose was. Again, we hearken back unto the opening chapter of John's gospel. In chapter 1, verse 14 of John's Gospel, he says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this life was manifested. How was it manifested? It was the life that was eternal. John says, The life was manifested. We have seen it. We bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. And just so we know, in verse 1, that life which was from the beginning, he says, we show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father that was manifested unto us. The life is the eternal life. Again, we hearken back to the opening of the gospel in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus is the light of men. He is the light that came into darkness. It's the light that shineth into darkness in Christ's very own words. Again, as recorded by the same author here, the Apostle John. John records Christ's own words in chapter 8 of his gospel. In verse number 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. In chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, I am come that they might have life. Also in that same chapter, in verses 27 and 28, the clarion call, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And so when John opens up this very letter, and when he's asking who is this Jesus, John's opening description of Christ, oh, it so closely follows his opening description in the gospel. He makes four assertions of who Jesus is. He is from everlasting. He is the word of life. He is the life that is manifested. And it is the life that is eternal. And so we move from the assertions that he makes, the four descriptions of the eternal Christ, secondly, to the affirmations 
These are seven demonstrations of his confidence in Christ. It's a separate question, but it's a question that he answers nonetheless. This question is, how do we know this man, Jesus? Now that we know who he is, how do we know this man, Jesus? And if you have studied this at all before, and I know you have, you know that John writes this letter for the confidence of the saints. We know that 40 times in this short Short letter, 40 times the word know or known or knew or knowing appears in this few chapters. And so he is intensely concerned with your knowledge of Christ. We know the answer of these affirmations. We know his confidence because he answers these questions for us. And you can detect it by several verbs And all of the verbs are in the past tense. He says we have heard, we have seen, we have handled. Those past tense verbs. But before we start with the verbs, let me show you also that there are 12 uses of plural pronouns. He says we and us. And so I want you to understand right off the bat that John is not just speaking of himself. He's speaking of the collection of apostles that have gone on before him. He's the last remaining apostle. He's approaching his mid-90s, we believe, when he writes this. He's writing the end of the sacred canon. He's the last author of the New Testament. He's the only remaining apostle. And so the we here in these verses is the combination of all of the authors that have gone on before. It's the combination of the apostles that have given their lives up to this point as the witnesses of Christ. He says in verse 1, he says, We have seen, we have looked upon, our hands have handled. And so let's just take those senses that he speaks of in order he says we have heard this opening sentence those things which we have heard of the word of life in John chapter 6 back in the gospel I want you to understand that it is the apostle John that records the testimony of Peter Simon Peter the apostle that made the bold declaration when Christ asked him, Who do you think I am? He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when others left, when others abandoned, in John 6, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the Words of eternal life. It's John that records the very words of Christ when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We have heard in this opening statement of John's letter that it's twice repeated to demonstrate the hearing that John actually heard the testimony of Christ. He listened to what Jesus had to say about himself. He heard 
the Sermon on the Mount. He heard so many times when Jesus spoke and he reached others. John here declares himself to be a witness. He declares himself also to be an eyewitness. Three times he says in verse 1, in verse 2, and in verse 3, three separate times he says, I have seen the Christ. What has he seen? I mean, three times when he says, we have seen, he's saying three separate times so that he can validate that he was literally an eyewitness to the ministry of Christ. He was a first-hand observer to the miracles that Christ, Christ had performed. He's a first-hand observer to the, to, to the ministry of Jesus. He was a first-hand observer to the mockery that Jesus had suffered All of the miracles recorded in John's gospel. He was a first-hand observer when Peter and James and John went to the mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. It was John that records that for us in his gospel. He says, I saw that with my own eyes. He, he mentions hearing and feeling. John records for us. When Jesus and went to the mountain and Peter and James and this apostle went there, they went and they saw Christ's glory. They were overshadowed with a cloud. They not only heard the voice of Christ, they heard God the Father speak from heaven. They fell down on the ground when they heard that voice. And Jesus came by and touched them. And said, fear not. It's this John that was an eyewitness to the crucifixion. It's this John that was the friend of the high court, Cephas. Caiaphas, I'm sorry. I get the names mixed up once in a while. It's this John that was had an entryway. And from a distance, he watched the trials. It is this John that saw the crucifixion and to whom Jesus said, Behold thy mother. And he commanded the apostle here to take care of Mary. It's this John that was an eyewitness to the empty tomb, to the resurrected Christ. But he also says here, we have looked upon. That's a different word. In his letter, he says, not only did we see, but we looked upon. A different word that says, yeah, we studied this out. It was almost too amazing to believe, and so we studied it. We made a diligent inquiry. It's a more intensive verb than just seeing with the eyes. It includes a purposeful, intense investigation. In other words, I'm not taking anybody's word for it. And I'm not just going to believe what my eyes and my ears. I'm going to really, really make an intense study of this. I'm going to spend some years searching this out. I say that only to make a couple of points here. In John's writings, there are 58 references to Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ. 
John, like so many authors, but more than other authors, says that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. How would he know? Because he made a diligent inquiry. It is John that gives us the unique I am statements about Jesus. See, we've come to understand from our studies that when I am is used, it's, it's a name for God. And so whenever Jesus makes an I am statement, he's claiming the attributes of deity and he is identifying himself as God. He is in the flesh, all man, but yet when he says, I am, he is claiming in the flesh that he is God, Emmanuel, God with us. And so it is John, by the way, John, the older cousin, who is older than Jesus by just a few years, it is John that records Christ as saying, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. There's two other I am statements that John records for us in his gospel. They're not metaphors, but they are direct declarations of God's name. Where Jesus himself speaks and they're quoted by this apostle. When Jesus responded to the self-righteous Pharisees in John chapter 8. He says, those that keep my words will never die. And the Pharisees respond to him and they say, "Uh, Abraham is dead. Are you better than our father Abraham? Of course, you know I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus then responded to that question. He responded to that challenge of, of their question, are you better than Abraham our father? And his response to that was, before Abraham was, I am. John records that for us. The second instance comes during the arrest in the garden. You can read about it in John chapter 18. There was an angry mob that was led by Judas And Judas had come, and of course you know that he contracted to to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And this angry mob comes, and Jesus says, who do you seek? And they reply to him, they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. His simple reply to that was two words, I am. He doesn't say, I am he. He doesn't say, my name's Jesus. They say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Think about that. Because their reply or or, or their reaction was amazing. Their reaction to that was the entire mob fell backwards. And then they kind of, I mean, in my mind's eye, I can picture this. They kind of get up and they brush themselves off and they gather themselves back around. I can see the huddle over here with Jesus. I thought you said this guy, you know. And then Jesus speaks up again. I thought you were here to seek Jesus of Nazareth. I already told you, I am. They just didn't get it, did they? 
I better get back to my other text. <laughs> John, in his letter, back in verse 1, he says, Our hands have handled... I'm going to press on for time's sake. Our hands have handled... Think about this. These men walked with Christ during his earthly ministry for three and a half years. How many times do you think they were working together and they brushed up against him and their shoulders bumped? Excuse me, sorry. Oh, you're real. You're in the flesh. I mean, that was one of the arguments of the day. Jesus wasn't real. You just kind of saw a hologram or something. That's one of the Gnostic, you know, heresies of the day. They didn't think he was real. You just saw something, but it wasn't real. It wasn't flesh. You just thought you saw something. No, no, no. When, when, when Jesus fed them by the lake, that was real food. When Jesus fed the 5,000 and they broke bread and fish, that, that was real food. And he really ate real food. I mean, think about all the times when they would just brush doing their daily work. Or they would wash hands, or they would bump into. I mean, they were traveling dirty, dusty roads, and, and I'm sure that, you know, one of them would stumble on a stone and, and, and brush into him. Think about all those times in traveling in three and a half years, there would be a, a casual touch. Jesus, we mentioned in Sunday school, Matthew 14, he caught Peter. He said, Peter, come to me. And Peter steps out of the boat and starts to walk on the water. And when he begins to sink, Jesus reached out and touched him, took him by the hand and lifted him back up. That's a picture of salvation. We heard in an earlier message this week, right before Jesus went to the garden and was arrested what did he do he wrapped himself in a towel and he washed the disciples feet that was a touch and that's a picture of service and right after the resurrection when Jesus came and he appeared in the room to the disciples there's this fellow named Thomas we call him doubting Thomas for a reason don't we and he said, reach hither your hand. Touch my hands, my side. That was a touch. In his resurrection body. And that's a picture of surety. And so here we see seven demonstrations that God, that John gives us. All to produce confidence in who Christ is. The hearing, the seeing, the observing, and the handling. But I want you to know that John isn't alone here. Again, note the we. He's not speaking just for himself. He's speaking for all of the apostles. Each of them had the same qualifications. Each of them had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. Each of them had to have John's baptism. They all walked with Jesus for the entire time of his earthly ministry. I have to move on. Thirdly. I want you to note their actions. By actions, John in this letter is asking the question, what are we doing with this man, Jesus? He's already asked, who is Jesus? And how do we know? And now he's asking the question, what are we doing with this man, Jesus? 
And the way he answers this question in this same text, these same four verses, the answer to this question is detected in the present tense verbs. Verse 2. We bear witness. The life was manifested and we have seen it and present tense, bear witness. It's a specific word. That specific word that is translated bear witness means to testify. It means that we add our testimony. Uh, I, I, I love this word because It's a very specific Greek word that we get our English word martyr from. And and, and John here is literally saying that we are martyred for the testimony of Christ. We give our witness, we bear our witness, but we bear our witness with our lives. Again, note all the plural pronouns. Think of John the Baptist. The martyr for Christ. Think of Stephen, the first martyr in the book of Acts. Think of the man James. There's a close one. James and John were brothers. James was the first apostle killed. And James and John are brothers. In my mind's eye, he's literally thinking of his own brother that gave his life for the testimony of Christ. And John now says, we bear witness. Our life work, the life work of all the we, the life work of the apostles is to bear witness of Christ. Also in verse number 2, he says, we show unto you that eternal life. How do we show unto you that eternal life? This is a word that means we bring tidings. We give to you a good report. This is what John does by his preaching. This is what John does through his demonstration of Christian living. Uh, Understand that when John sets down and he puts pen to parchment, who is this letter addressed to? It's not. He is so excited. He is so overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus Christ is everything. He forgot to write down that, oh, I'm writing to you. He didn't even address the letter. He just started out with, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we saw, which we looked on, we handled. It's like, oh, somebody write this on the envelope because I forgot to address it. Most scholars believe that he's writing to the church of Ephesus and the few surrounding churches. Let's just say Christians in general in the region of Ephesus and the few surrounding churches in Asia Minor to which he was pastoring, doing the work of an apostle in the days before he was exiled to Patmos and wrote the Revelation. It's the same churches, if you will, that he addresses Revelation 2 in Revelation 2 and 3. When Christ is speaking and he is recording to those seven churches. Generally, we think that's probably the same audience that he's writing this to. 
But I said all that to say that John has been actively living among these people. He has been their mentor. He has been their model. He has been their minister. This is what we call Christian discipleship. We have shown you the gospel because we have shown you every area that has affected my life personally. This is how I have demonstrated it to you. This hasn't been false. It's not something I wrote down from a long distance place and I'm just telling you what I think you do. It's not do what I say and not what I do. He says, you know, this has been consistent for me from the very day you met me, which is in fact exactly what he says in the next verse. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. In verse 3, declare is the same word as show. We have shown it and we have declared it. It's an open declaration of what we believe. We are a witness. That word declare is a verb. And it's the, it, it is the key word of this entire section. It, it, some think it's the key word of the entire letter. I, I think it's no. But the sub word would be declare. Can you be an English student and imagine diagramming this sentence? There's 14 verbs. you got to find the main verb. <laughs> Let me help you. It's this one. <laughs> and I didn't get that on my own. I had to, I had to consult a, uh, somebody smarter than me. <clears throat> Verse 4, he says we write. We are getting, giving a written, memorialized, verified record. We're writing it down. We are writing this down so there is no more questions. We want no misrepresentation, no misunderstanding, no misquoting. I'm going to write it down so you know exactly what I'm talking about. He says, you must know. You must get this right. What are the two things we want you to know? Verse 2, we want you to know those things that are manifested to us. Verse 3, we want you to have the fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father and with his son. And so understand this. The words that John is writing here. It's not the majority opinion of a divided Supreme Court. We haven't seen any of that lately, have we? John is not writing for a nation. He's writing for a group of Christians. And it's not a divided opinion. John is under Holy Spirit inspiration. He is composing scripture. And this is the unanimous written record of all of the eyewitnesses, every apostle, every Christian that has spoken up until this time and everyone since this time. It has been their life work. Each one of them has granted their unanimous consent to what John has written. These things we believe. That's what he's writing. And so finally, his aims. Those were the four declarations of his commission. Let me give you two designs, very quickly, two designs for his communication. Detected by a purpose statement. John is going to answer for us the question, why must we declare this man Jesus? We know what we're doing with this man, Jesus, but why are we now declaring this man, Jesus? Why is it so important? He answers that question with a purpose statement that is introduced 
by a very small primary conjunction, the word that. He says in verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us. Everything that we've done, the living, the learning, the leading of the Spirit, so that you may have fellowship with us. And that is important because if you read the rest of John, he, he launches out into some of these tests of Christian discipleship. And one of the tests is love. You must love the brethren. And so fellowship with him is very, very important. He is called in some places the apostle of love. In fact, there's one story that says at one point in time, John was, was so frail, humanly speaking, that they carried him in on a mattress and, they, and some men had to prop him up behind the pulpit so that he could preach. And he preached a whole three-word sermon. And his sermon was, love one another. That's how important love is to John. But that's not what's most important. That is not what is overwhelmingly important. He says in verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us. Why? Because our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what's more important. We heard a sermon on that yesterday. The love for the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is what produces the love for one another. You must have the fellowship with us, not because you have to love me, but that's important. I like to be liked, Brother Joe. I really do. Not that I have to Love you, but I do love y'all. Y'all have been a tremendous blessing to me. But what's important about our fellowship one with another is that our fellowship one with another is evidence of the fact that we have a living, loving, vital relationship with God and with His Son, Christ Jesus. Because, as John writes, this fellowship is the fellowship that existed before the beginning. It's the fellowship that was before anything else was. The Son has shared with us that fellowship when we were called out of that darkness and into the light of life. It's been an enlightening call. Look at verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. There's no shadow. There's no silhouette. There's no shade. And so the call of God is an enlightening call. It's an enlivening call. Look at verse 2. The life was manifest. We've seen it. We bear witness showing to you that eternal life. It's an enlivening call. It's an effectual call. And he says, secondly... Not only so that you may have fellowship with us, but the second purpose he's writing 
is found in verse 4. These things write we unto you. Here's the word that, the purpose statement, your joy may be full. There is no joy without Christ. It is Jesus Christ that brings us joy. Again, John records this for us in Christ's own words. In John 15, verse 11, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And so John is giving us nothing new. All John is doing is repeating the very words of Jesus back to us. That's John's aim. That's John's purpose. John's entire purpose is so that you may know the light of life and so that your joy may be full. John's gospel, he's already written for salvation. And this letter, he just writes so that you can be sure of your salvation. He says, so you will know. You must know Jesus. You must know the light. You must know that Jesus was manifested, but not only manifested from eternity past, but you must know that he was manifested unto you. You must know that he came on purpose and he came for a purpose. This is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that we declare unto you. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that has been preached the last several days from this very pulpit. I just add my voice to those men that have gone before me. I add my voice to John's. And I say, this is what I declare unto you. That Jesus came in the flesh. And he lived a perfectly sinless life. He humbled himself to the death of a Roman cross in fulfillment of God's preordained plan to purchase salvation for his people so that God can be not only just in his holiness, but he can be the justifier of his people. And in that great exchange, you can give Christ your rebellion and you can receive his righteousness. And I do just what John has done in this scripture. I invite you to become a partaker of that joy, that your joy may be full. You can be a disciple of Christ. You can place your trust in him through repentance, through faith. You can settle that matter now. You can submit to Christ. By God's grace, you can place your faith in that eternal that came to earth. You can place your faith in the word that came into the world, in the light that shines into the darkness. Into Jesus Christ, the God-man that bore our sins so that we could have salvation. So that we might have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the testimony of the eyewitness and the Apostle John. That's the testimony of all the apostles. That's the testimony of all of the authors of sacred writ. That's the testimony of John, who is the last author of the New Testament. 
That's the testimony that we've heard heralded from this very pulpit in the Preachers of Grace Conference. Christ is all. All fellowship. All fullness. All light. All joy. Jesus Christ is everything. Turn from yourself. Turn to the Son. Place your faith in Him is my encouragement to you. Brother Jeff.